and welcome to the My Hormones, My Health podcast. My name's Laura and I have PMDD. Come with me as I navigate my way through the highs, the lows and the lowers of all things relating to hormones and health. I can't promise that I'll have all the answers, but at the heart of everything I do, I'll be aiming to spread a message of hope that a life with hormone or health issues can be compatible with a life of joy. Welcome to episode nine of the My Hormones, My Health podcast. Whether you're a brand new listener or you've tuned in since the first episode, thanks so much for being here and helping me to raise awareness of health and hormone issues while also spreading my message of hope. On the last episode, we talked about polycystic ovary syndrome or PCOS. I also shared with you that I thought it was time that we started branching out to talk about other taboo health and hormone issues and not just PMDD. As October is Menopause Awareness Month, I knew straight away who I wanted to join me on this episode. My lovely friend June has survived misdiagnosed PMDD and endometriosis. She's had a hysterectomy and now, as well as taking on the menopause, she's using her experiences to help and empower others. So here's our chat. So June, thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. I understand that you've had experiences with PMS as as it was diagnosed at the time and also experiences with endometriosis. So for anyone who doesn't know, what is endometriosis? Right. Um, Well, let's start off with um, the problems that I've had since I was younger. So when I look back, um, I've had hormonal problems since puberty, really. I've always suffered with a hormone imbalance, which just becomes part of your very being in terms of I really don't know what it's like not to have cramps or bloating or mood swings and feelings of anxiety. And as I've transitioned through each of those natural phases, such as puberty, pregnancy, menopause, and I've been plagued by all of the hyper conditions. So to explain that, um, for instance, at the onset of puberty, I suffered for many years with hyperhidrolysis, which is excessive sweating. And so I'd, I'd sweat from, you know, under my arms to below my elbows, which was so embarrassing, and especially as a young person. And then during pregnancy, I enjoyed um, hyperemesis, which is extreme morning sickness, which lasted for the whole duration of my pregnancy from six weeks onwards. Um, as well as um, that, I also experienced hypersalivation during pregnancy, which is overproduction of saliva. So for about seven months, I had like a, a, a drip bowl under my chin, catching all this excessive saliva. It was absolutely awful. And then I also had breast hypertrophy, which is excessive growth of the breast tissue. And I'm sure a man come up with that name because what woman would? Um, and it's exceptionally rare. And it occurs in one out of every 100,000 pregnancies. And it resulted in me going from sort of a 36C bra size to a 32HH within, a double H within six weeks of pregnancy. So it appeared throughout my life, I've struggled to regulate the female hormones, um, estrogen and progesterone. And it's only recently that I've understood what progesterone does. And so, you know, the progesterone is a steroid hormone that is produced in the ovaries and the adrenal glands and in the placenta during pregnancy, which may account for why I had such a horrendous pregnancy. 
So um, one of the functions is to help regulate the menstrual cycle and balance the effects of estrogen. So if progesterone levels are usually low during ovulation, this can lead to estrogen, um, sorry, estrogen dominance that manifests into uh, premenstrual syndrome, which is what I've experienced um, since I was um, 11 years of age, really. It wasn't diagnosed until I was 17. So, you know, who knew that that would be the cause? So progesterone is also a key player in synthesizing other hormones and is a precursor for the body to manufacture um, testosterone and uh, cortisol and estrogen. So it's not only relates to the female reproductive uh, processes, it's also a neurosteroid that synthesizes in the brain, which also protects neurons. So not having, so sorry, having a progesterone deficiency each month can have a significant effect on emotional and physical well-being, um, which is where I believe I've experienced for many years. But unfortunately, it was never diagnosed. Now, you asked me what endometriosis is, and that is the condition where the cells like the ones in the line of the womb are found outside the body. And each month, these cells react in the same way to those in the womb and building up and then breaking down and bleeding. But unlike the cells in the womb that leave the body as a period, the blood has nowhere to escape. And so this leads to a really debilitating condition that causes real painful and heavy periods. It can also lead to infertility and fatigue and bowel and bladder problems and that are often misdiagnosed as IBS. So um, that's basically it, really. So it's fair to say that you've had your fair share then, isn't it, of Oh, yeah, hormone imbalances have been quite significant, really. Um, And it's only now that I've started to sort of read back, because they didn't have the internet when I was younger, and it's only now that I've started to read back and I think, gosh, that, that is what's been happening with me. And if, it, if only I'd known about the progesterone, I could have maybe been on a HRT supplement or, or whatever. And I wouldn't have needed to have gone through all of the, um, the symptoms that I have, I have through the years. And what was life like then as, as a young woman with these issues? And like you say, no internet and maybe a lot less information. Oh, yeah. Um, Well, I was a teenager in the late 70s and early 80s. And then, like now, menstrual um, issues were very rarely talked about, even amongst friends. It was something which was kept quite private. Um, I was age 11 when I started my periods, which were problematic from the start. And having fainted at home with period pain, I remember visiting my GP with my very strict Catholic mother in tow, who I would add was of Irish descent to to boot. So when the doctor suggested I take the contraceptive pill to regulate and ease my period, you can imagine my mother hit the roof and point blank refused. So therefore, my only option was to manage the pain by taking painkillers such as uh, paracetamol and norofen. And you know what, the the pain gradually got worse and it wasn't until I was age 17 and I had to take time off work due to abdominal and and back pain and low mood that I returned to see my GP. 
who was of the opinion that my periods were still regulating. Now we're talking about six years since my first period, um, but I was too too young to question this, and so went along with the diagnosis. And again, I was off the pill. I refused for a number of reasons. One, I was seventeen. I didn't want to take um, medication every day. Um, as I wasn't given um, any firm facts, I associated the pill with cancer. I didn't want to put weight on, which, um, again, without facts, this was a misconception. But I knew that all my friends who had gone on the pill had put weight on, so it followed that I thought I would. Um, and also, I was absolutely terrified of my mother finding out, which, you know, <laughs> I think that was the, the driving force. Um, and at this point, my, my GP suggested that I may have endometriosis, which was the first time I'd ever heard of the condition. So, um, again, my GP said that I was too young to be tested and that there was no cure. So he dismissed the option to be diagnosed. Um, I was told if I had problems conceiving in the future that that would ha be highly likely, then endometriosis would be the likely cause. So, you know what, Laura, that conversation and the fear of not being able to have children stuck with me throughout the, the whole of my young adult life. To the point that when I met my husband, I told him that I didn't want any children because that was my way of dealing with the reality that if um, I couldn't have children, I wanted it to be my choice. I didn't want that choice to be taken away from me. So it was my way of dealing with the reality. And, and that was all because the doctor told me that way back when I was 17. So without was undergoing any tests, when I look back at it, Psychological effects um, are quite significant, especially for someone so young and vulnerable. So um, moving on, as the pain progressively worsened, I also suffered extreme mood swings prior to my period. Returning to my GP, I've experienced high and low moods and emotion. Um, for example, I found myself crying for no reason. And um, it was then that he diagnosed me with um, PMT, which is premenstrual syndrome, without even undergoing any tests. And again, I was offered the contraceptive pill as a remedy to every problem I had that was hormone related. Um, or the other option was antidepressants. And once again, I refused because there was stigma attached to depression and anxiety. So to be on antidepressants age 17 was a big no-no for me. So, um, I, you know, I mentioned earlier on as well that another hormone imbalance that I had was um, hyperhidrolysis, which is excessive production of sweat. And I experienced this through my feet and my hands and under my arms. And it was one of the worst things I've ever experienced. And, you know, if you can imagine, your clothes are saturated in sweat from under your arms to past your elbow. And people often, you know, looked at you. It looks disgust. Well, looked at me. It looks of disgust. And um, sweat's often associated with smell. And I managed this for a number of years by wearing dark colours, mainly black, to make myself invisible. I carry deodorants, additional clothing. And it's a bit like now with the menopause, really. You know, you, you come out with, you know, um, hot flushes. But this was constant sweating. So in my late 30s, I was eventually prescribed a roll-on. So I put up with this for about 14 years. 
um, and I was eventually prescribed Dorolon, which helped to alleviate the problem. Um, but I had experienced, you know, side effects such as loss of feeling at the end of my fingers, headaches. Um, and I used this until I became pregnant in my mid-30s. However, after my pregnancy, the symptoms totally disappeared. And so at that time, as, as you mentioned, there was no internet and there was very little resource available. So to fully understand the conditions, it wasn't until later I understood what PMS and endometriosis were because both of those conditions had begun to define me in mood and behavior, which I found difficult to control. So at that point, what I would say is I would describe myself as Marmite. You know, people either liked me or hated me because I was unpredictable. I was complicated. Um, I was there for um, when I was younger. I shied away from meeting new people or making new friends in case I was misunderstood. Um, I was constantly critical of myself, uh, constantly comparing myself negatively to others. And paranoia had become a long-term friend. Um, I therefore found it difficult to trust others, even though they hadn't given me course. Um, I suppose for many years, I've become very insular for fear of criticism and rejection. Yet when I look back, I know I did this to myself. Um, my hormones and mental health really did define the person I've become. So, yeah, it was quite a difficult time feel like I need to challenge you on that actually June because what you just said there is you know no it wasn't anybody else kind of rejecting you or anything like that and you say uh, you know it was me was it actually you or was it these conditions that you had to be dealing with I just it was just the whole state of mind I mentioned before you know it's only recently that it's come to light well it's come to my mind about the effects of the different hormones female hormones I never knew about all of that when I was younger you never learned about that when you were at school there wasn't any internet as there is now and it's only that I'm sort of working on a new business concept and and um, looking at the menopause and, and what have you, that I've realized the effects of these hormones. But those hormones haven't just affected me during menopause, they've affected me throughout my whole of my, my young adult life, really, and right the way through. And one of the most significant, it was when I was doing some work for this podcast, one of the most significant times was pregnancy. And, you know, with all the hypers, you know, the salivation and excessive um, growth of, you know, uh, breast tissue and hyperalysis, which is, you know, being sick every day, you know, for a full eight months. That was my life. And it, it was, you know, it was grew. It was really hard to endure to the point that I never had one child. And she was extremely um, healthy when she was born um, because she just took every bit of goodness out of me, really. I often remind her of it as well. <laughs> so, yeah, so it was me um, to an extent. Um, and I, I just was uneducated. I didn't have any knowledge. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you've kind of summed it up really well that actually you've a lot of the time there was a bit of a blanket approach, you know, contraceptive pill, contraceptive yeah. pill, antidepressants, um, yeah. 
And that's such a minefield, isn't it? And maybe it wasn't so much treatment that you needed as much as information. Absolutely. To make decisions and to make choices. But uh, I felt as though the only option was, um, you know, was the contraceptive pill. And I think that's doctors and GPs in general. They don't know know an awful lot about women's health in terms of hormones, um, in terms of, you know, PMDD, PMS, um, and menopause. And, you know, I found through speaking with an awful lot of women lately that they're paying to go private to see menopause specialists because they've been back to their GPs on a number of occasions. And, you know, they're still experiencing symptoms. They're unable to sleep with hot flushes. Uh, night sweats, fatigue, you know, and they're also um, experiencing irritability because they may not have slept, you know, for so many days. And it's difficult to go to work and do a full day's work and function the way you should. So, you know, there's a lot to be said there for um, for what the GP and the knowledge of GPs and also as well their signposting um, because one pill doesn't fit all. Absolutely and hormones are such a complex issue so you're absolutely right one pill isn't going to fix everything it's it's just not going to work like that. So let's talk a little bit about surgery then so you had hysterectomy is that right? Yes, I did. Okay, so what led to that decision then, June? Um, well, what, what led to that was basically uh, I just had enough. Um, I the you know the tipping point for me was um, I went shopping one day um, and I collapsed because I I was diagnosed with um, in my thirties with endometriosis, and at that time. And I had a laparoscopy and they they confirmed it was endometriosis um, at age uh, 32. And um, I was uh, prescribed um, Ponstan by a GP when I got married and I moved to a, a different practice. And I felt that, that that eased it an awful lot. And, um, you know, that drug just changed my life, basically. So what happened was I went shopping. I collapsed in the middle of a shopping centre because I've forgotten to take my pants down and the pain was that severe that I just collapsed in a shop. And the next thing I knew is I was being trolleyed out of the shopping centre and um, I was sort of, you know, on my way to the hospital. And um, I just thought enough's enough. I, I just don't want to go through this no more. So I went to see a gynecologist and lucky enough I have private health care so um, I went to see a gynecologist and um, at first he was a bit reluctant even though I was in the age of 50 you know I was 48 sorry and um, you know I was coming up to menopause I wasn't quite in menopause at that stage because menopause is determined by you're in perimenopause first um, for 12 months from one day and then it's it's then that you move into menopause so it was in perimenopause been in that stage for a couple of years where I hadn't quite reached um, menopause because it has to be that full year without periods so um, he was a bit reluctant to diagnose me um, for uh, hysterectomy 
And um, it was only when I was explaining that, you know, I was having the mood swings and I explained all my history that you said to me, you know, what? I don't think that you've ever really suffered with PMS. I think that your signs are more akin to PMGD because I had to go right through my whole history because I didn't have medical records because I put up with it. And so in the end, he agreed to do a hysterectomy. So I went, I was, um, I was 50 at the time when I had the hysterectomy. And at first, I thought, you know what, I absolutely run to the operating theatre and I thought, you know, I'm not going to have all those symptoms anymore. And um, even though I was given a leaflet about menopause, I just thought it's got to be better than what I'm going through. And I must admit, menopause is better than what I was going through because you can manage menopause, whereas you could never manage PMS or um, endometriosis. It was one of those things that managed you and it was very difficult because you just didn't know what life was going to throw at you at the time. I just, I mean, you said you were diagnosed kind of there and then at the age of 50 with PMDD after starting your periods at the age of 11. Yeah, yeah. And even then, there's no real tests that, that, that they can do. I, it was just the stories I told them and the thing, you know, my pregnancy and the highs, the lows, um, you know, the, the different symptoms that I experienced that I tended to keep to myself. And you just get on with it because in my generation, that's what you did. You just got on with it. You went to work. And I used to pride myself on going to work every day. Um, and never taking a day off work. And then I spent all weekend and my night times in bed because I was just, you know, I was totally fatigued and drained. And I just didn't want to speak. I didn't want to have anything to do with anybody. And I just wanted to hide myself away. But then I'd get up and I'd go to work. And, you know, I must have been a complete nut and nightmare while I was in work. But I thought I was being brave and I was wearing the medal and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm in work and I'm not going to let it affect me. And it would have been better if I had done really, if I had just took time off, look after myself, uh, self-care. And it's not until I've had my hysterectomy that I really have started to do self-care. And let's talk a little bit about menopause then. Because you, you just yeah. said it's, it's more manageable than, than what you did have to deal with. Yeah, it is. But I guess for anyone, we have people listening who may be at a point where they're considering surgery. And there are people listening as well who may never have thought about menopause. So I'm 30. It's not really on my radar. And all I know about it is from what I hear from other people who say things like, oh, you get the hot flushes and things like that. Yeah. So what, what is menopause for you then? What does it mean and how does it impact you? Yeah, well, well, to be honest, Laura, um, I didn't quite understand what menopause was. I knew it was getting hysterectomy, and I knew it would put me into menopause. But from what I, the symptoms I had and what I was going through, I thought nothing can be as bad as that. So, um, you know, I'd heard of menopause, but I didn't know what it what it would mean. Despite printouts from a consultant, um, my focus was on uh, stopping the symptoms of endometriosis and not suffering PMS and what that would feel like. So I was quite excited to have a hysterectomy. However, four weeks following, 
um, the, the surgery, I was experiencing the top five menopause symptoms, which is hot flushes, night sweats, fatigue, irritability, along with the worst symptom for me, which was brain fog, not being able to string conversations together, losing words in the middle of sentences. And when you speak to women, that, that, that's really common. And what that then does, it, you start to lose confidence and you start to question your own ability and your ability to function, um, especially at work in, in a job that you may have done for a number of years uh, because you're forgetting things quite frequently. And that was that was the most uh, frightening part of um, the beginning of my menopause for me. And I know that from um, things that I've read and people I've spoken to, that people think that they go mad. They think that they've got dementia uh, because they are forgetful um, and they feel like they're losing their minds. But one thing about um, the age of menopause, which is between 45 and 55, the average is 51, um, is that it's often called the sandwich generation. So basically, you are experiencing menopause while you're looking after elderly elderly parents and you've got children preparing for exams. And, you know, and in my instance, my, my husband um, had also been diagnosed with cancer. So I was juggling so many balls that, you know, something really, really um, had to give. And it, it was quite um, quite traumatic at first. Um, and I, I didn't, I chose not to take HRT as well, because again, I wasn't given much information except a printout on it. So I decided, again, I'd heard about the, the scares of cancer, breast cancer. Um, I didn't research it much, um, to be honest, at that stage. So I just went with a holistic um, way of dealing with menopause. And that was through exercise, through diet, and um, I used a, a laser care, which is a magnet that you sort of put on the inside of your underwear, and it controls the flushes. And for me, it worked. It was it was a lifesaver, and it reduced my hot flushes down from about thirty two flushes a day to about four. Um, you know, and that would those four would mainly be around time that I drunk caffeine because caffeine can have an effect on um, on hot flushes. So for me, that worked, and it worked for a number of years. And it's only since recently, since I've been doing some research into menopause, that I've read all the book bits about HRT, and I decided to go on HRT myself about eight weeks ago. So I've gone on to a gel. So there are seventy different preparations. Um, and there are transdermal, which are HRTs that you rub onto your skin, um, or sprays. Uh, so it's gels, patches, sprays, and then there's the oral um, tablets. So I originally was given an oral tablet. It didn't agree with me. And then I went on patches, and that didn't agree with me either. So um, I gave off for a while. And then again, I researched it more and went onto the onto the gel, and I'm doing quite well on that. But menopause, you know, it sort of um, it, it it elevates your emotion, and that's what I can remember most. And I remember my line manager of 16 years, and um, it was about to retire, telling me that my new line manager was concerned that I'd become upset three times over a five month period. You know, he must have been counting. 
Um, and I was worried that I wasn't up to, and he was worried I wasn't up to the job. So he gave me um, a heads up and said to try and suppress my emotions. Um, I was heading up a call centre at the time. And consequently, we're trying to suppress my emotions, my anxiety and stress levels rose to new heights. Um, I attempted to change my behaviours and um, it just basically aggravated them. Um, I was tired, I was fatigued, I was worried, I wasn't sleeping before going into work. I wasn't able to think straight and I was a complete mess. Um, so, you know, that wasn't very good. My, uh, working through the menopause at work in my job wasn't wasn't that great. Um, so the end point was um, that it resulted in a number of changes for me. So I changed my job role. I applied for flexible work and so I could complete a part-time MBA, which was something that I'd always wanted to do. So that was one of the good things about my menopause. It made me start to think about myself. So you know, especially with what was happening with my mother and my husband and my daughter. And I thought, no, I'm going to spend some time. I'm going to look after myself. So I started an MBA uh, with the intention of becoming a business consultant. And I'm currently working on a research project which um, identifies business problems in the workplace. Um, and so um, I've automatically thought about menopause because menopause does affect so many women in the workplace. And let, let's talk about your recent decisions then. So it is quite an exciting time for you, actually. Ta- yeah, it is, yeah, it is quite an exciting time. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm just on the end of my MBA. Um, I'm doing research for my dissertation, to, um, which is menopause in the workplace. So I'm doing a qualitative and quantitative research so that would be in-depth interviews with women um, to find out their experiences of working through the menopause at work, uh, the conditions within work. And then the other part of it is the, um, the quantitative, which is going to be uh, with HR um, personnel and professionals. So identifying what the barriers of change to change are and, um, you know, why certain cultures exist in the workplace where menopause is stigmatized and not spoken about and a bit like you know menstrual issues as well so it's about identifying what those barriers are so that to get the conversation taught and you know starting to be talked about menopause starting to be um openly talked about and a bit like what mental health was a number of years ago and it was great a few weeks ago that Michelle Obama um, started talking about her menopause because I've been saying for quite some time now that it needs somebody to own it. You know, the way the royal family, you know, like William and Kate and Harry owned mental health. It needs somebody with status to own menopause. And lo and behold, um, Michelle Obama started talking about it a few weeks ago, which I just think is great. She's a great advocate for it. Absolutely. She's, um, yeah, she's got that status, hasn't she, for sure? She has, that's it. Yeah, definitely. So it sounds like, I mean, over lots of years, you haven't had the support that maybe you should have had, or you definitely should have had. No, I didn't. What are you hoping to achieve 
with your research and with what you're doing now with your your work with workplaces? Yeah. So, well, what I'm doing, I'm doing the research now and I just find it fascinating and I just love doing it. I love helping women. Um, but my focus is going to be mainly um, helping. It's going to be a B2B business. So I'm opening up a, a consultancy business called Menopause 360 Consultancy. Um, and haven't had no support whatsoever in my workplace, resulting in a number of pivotal changes. It's prompted me to realize the importance and the value of raising menopause awareness within the workplace. So from educating line managers and supporting women transitioning through the various stages of menopause, menopause affects everyone. So providing support and direction to organizations to create an inclusive workplace is important to me. It's all about doing the right thing at the end of the day. And um, I think that women are often forgotten about, especially when, you know, the majority of women and, and, you know, there's a third of women working now who are going through menopause. So I've started Menopause 360 because transitioning through menopause is bad enough, but not having that supportive workplace where you can share how you're feeling and have somewhere to go when you're feeling emotional. Um, you're, it, it's important to a, a woman's mental and physical well-being. So the business concept has been so well received by women and men alike. And um, I'm really surprised that the younger generation who often see their mothers struggling are really showing a very positive, um, yeah, you know, they're showing positive support to the concept of what the, um, the business is about. So it's important to mention that many women find themselves in what has termed the sandwich generation, as I mentioned earlier on. So, and it's important as well for organisations to understand that, that they're juggling many balls and experiencing extreme fatigue, irritability, elevated by uh, perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms. So, you know, an awful lot of women are totally unprepared for menopause. So, you know, you mentioned yourself, Laura, you know very little about menopause. And I think that if you go into something, especially, if, you know, you've talked on your recent podcast about PMDD. And I think that if you go into something and you've got the knowledge, knowledge is power and it allows you to make those important decisions, doesn't it, really? And so, you know, if you, you know, you're not menopausal age, at the end of the day, if you know about it, if you know that it's about to come, then you can identify it, you can start to make changes, you can you know what the symptoms are going to be. So when you start to get her flushes, you can think, oh gosh, you know, or if you start to get brain block, you can think, you know what, I've heard about this, I think I know what it is, rather than, oh my gosh, I've got dementia coming on. And it, it's those kinds of decisions that we, um, and that education that we need to get out there and the awareness so that women can help themselves and they can manage their menopause rather than their menopause managing them. It sounds like, I mean, the symptoms of menopause, just like the symptoms of, of PMDD or endometriosis are debilitating enough in themselves. And they, they, can be, they can be so harsh in themselves. But just that awareness and knowing actually this is brain fog, it's quite normal for, for where I'm at or 
for where I'm at in my cycle and in my case with PMDD as you say just that knowledge of knowing it's okay it's it's not me it's not me going mad it's not me experiencing something that I'm I'm to blame for it's actually just something within my body and my biology that can actually help a lot can't it I think so Laura you know Every woman is different. So every menopause, every person who has a PMDD, their experience of that condition is different from another person's. So, you know, it's like we mentioned before, one pill doesn't fix all. People need to use, you know, the symptoms. There are over 30 symptoms of menopause. Not every woman will get those 30 symptoms. Some women could sail through the menopause, you know. And, you know, I was reading an article a while ago and it was talking about um, the suicide rate, the average suicide rate, you know, it was by the Samaritans. And the suicide rate, average suicide rate for women is 51. And the average age for menopause is 51. Now, you know, that's either coincidence or a consequence of, you know, the emotions that you go through. And it, it can be a whirlwind for some women. Other women can just sail through it. But it's also about relationships, it affects relationships because, you know, if you're going through um, perimenopause and you don't realize and you're becoming irritable and, you know, you change. I was talking to a lady a few days ago and she said to me, I don't like what the menopause, the person, the menopause has made me become. She said, I used to be quite laid back. And she said, now I'm quite mouthy. And, you know, if I don't like something, I'm quite straightforward and forthright. She said, I don't like that about myself. She said, I can't control my emotions and how I am. And it can do that. And so the average age for divorce as well is 47. Whereas the average age for going through, you know, going through menopause is 45 to, to 55. So, it, it, you know, there's some stark realities there of how it can affect um, your mental health and it can also affect relationships. It's, it's huge, isn't it? And as you say, it could be, co- it could be just consequence. It could be, uh, sorry, it could just be coincidence. But actually, I mean, that sounds to me like there's quite a strong correlation there. Mm. And you mentioned there about the next generation and a lot yeah. of the people that I speak with, I don't know, the more I'm speaking, the more I'm, I'm realizing that issues like PMDD, endometriosis, menopause, they're actually giving us a purpose of making life easier for the next generation. Do you yeah. feel like your experience are, are giving you a purpose and maybe leading to something bigger? Um. I do. Um, I do think it, it has given me a purpose. If you'd have asked me that question a few years ago, I would have said no. However, life has a funny way of identifying, redefining your purpose, doesn't it, sometimes? So, for example, I haven't had a hysterectomy and suffered uh, menopausal symptoms. I find this has made me more aware and empathetic to the point um women would be drawn to me at work and would openly share details of their experiences of working through the menopause. Um, And, you know, the awareness of such some of these issues, it was an easy decision to make when deciding to uh, research that topic for my dissertation for my MBA. So that has given me a purpose, um, my research topic. Um, 
although my specialism is uh, B2B consultancy, I often find myself in a signposting role or providing a listening ear and supporting women transitioning through menopause who have maybe lost their confidence or their sparkle or their mojo. Many of these women know something is not quite right, not realising menopause isn't something that happens just to older women because one in a hundred women will experience premature menopause in their 30s and it is as we just talked about Laura it's, it's about educating and raising awareness and sharing knowledge and support and it's really important and especially um, having experienced menopause holistically for a number of years and just working my way through and being most probably in nightmares for every person I met because I was unpredictable. It wasn't as said until recently that I've gone on HRT that, um, you know, I've been able to manage my my hormones for the very first time in the whole of my life. I'm 55 now. And to be able to say I'm only now managing my hormones is pretty rubbish, really. <laughs> you know, it's quite um, it's quite sad, I think. I think it's very unjust. It is unjust. And, you know, I, I have a saying um, that I just, um, you know, I just absolutely love it. And it's about George. It's from George Eliot. And it's never too late um, to be who you might have been. And I feel that my hormones have dictated many things in my life, including my choices, my behaviours many of which I've not liked about myself. Um, you know, as I talked to you before about someone I was talking to the other day, and they said that they don't like what it's turned them into. I feel the same way. Um, comparing myself to others has been a, a constant. And I listened to one of your other podcasts and someone said the same thing, that they were often comparing themselves and going on social media. Now, I don't do social media. I totally stay away from it. And... Um, because I do believe it contributes to, to mental health problems. So I, do, I don't go on Facebook or anything. Anything that I do is, is linked into business purposes. But, um, you know, it's, um, it, it's only recently that, as I said, I've been managing my hormones through HRT. That I've been able to feel that um, I've become the person I might have been. And then I feel much more happier and more secure within my own skin. And so with the knowledge and the education, I'm embracing my hormones and my menopause and I'm making it part of my future. And that's what it's all about. You know, um, when you truly listen around you, you can hear telltale signs. There are, there are women struggling out there and you just don't know what to do. And that, that is constant. And, you know, I don't know, you speak with an awful lot of women with PMDD. I don't know whether it's the same you know, for you in the circles that you mix with. Yeah, absolutely. Everything that you have said today has resonated with me and I'm sure it will have done with so many people listening. None of it is really a surprise, if that makes sense. I think when we go mm -hmm. through these things, we feel like it's just us. Yeah. And although all of our stories are unique, actually what we're going through is probably something very similar to another person whether it be PMDD or, or endo or, or menopause, these are conditions that are affecting so many people. But like you say, it's just not talked about enough. Yeah. So as we, as we wrap up today then, 
if there was anybody listening who maybe wasn't feeling supported in their workplace when it comes to their menopause or just hormone issues in general, what advice would you give to those people listening? Well, everyone is different and every woman has got to feel comfortable about being able to share um, share their story, basically. So it's about encouraging, it's looking for those, you know, um, it, it's looking for people who you can confide in. So um, if you don't feel that you can go into work and share with your, your manager, which is one of the things that has come out of a lot of research that women do not want to tell airline managers that they're going through the menopause for fear that, you know, they will um, they will be harassed or, or whatever, or they will be considered unable to do their, their um, job properly. And um, I would say that basically jot down all of your conditions. So if you haven't hot flushes, make a note of it. If you're unable to sleep, make a note of it and go and see your GP and speak to your GP. Now, um, it's unfortunate that GP appointments are only about 15 minutes long, isn't it? And you can't really go into all the details. So it is important to have these notes and have these records so that you can get straight to the point and you can have that conversation with your GP. And then it's about having the courage then to be able to decide whether you wish to share it at work. And I think if companies, as companies have become more aware and become more inclusive, I think that menopause policies and guidance is becoming commonplace in the workplace. It's getting talked about a lot more. And I think that if you do go into your workplace and you do explain, you know, your manager, you know your manager yourself, don't you, at the end of the day, and you'll know whether they will be, they'll listen to you. It may be an idea to go to HR and um, if you don't want to speak to your line manager and just you know, have that conversation and ask them to keep it confidential. But sitting doing nothing is the wrong thing to do. You need to start talking about how you're feeling. Um, and part of one of the services that I'm going to be doing is sort of a, a June's Menopause Cafe where I, I, I'm going to combine my both passions, which is menopause and baking. And I'm going to bake, take along bake, uh, cook, to, sorry, home baked cakes. We'll have a cuppa. This is when we get back to face to face. We'll have a cuppa. We'll get the conversation talking about menopause and the symptoms and the things that affect women. But it'll all be driven by women. And we'll sit and have that cup of tea and uh, um, or a cup of coffee and a cake. And we'll have that conversation. And then the encouragement will be to go home and speak to your friends, speak to your partner and explain how you feel. Because you can't go through it on your own. You know, my husband is really supportive. Um, but not everybody understands Dorothy at the end of the day. So it's about having that conversation. And I think just by saying that, you've already probably started so many conversations today because just from listening to this podcast today, people might now think maybe I'll start writing down my symptoms or maybe I will speak to my manager or my husband or whoever it is. So thank you so much, June. Oh, no, thank you, Laura. It's been lovely. And I've been enjoying your, your other podcast so much. So I feel really privileged to have been asked today. 
Thank you. I haven't talked too much. (laughs) No, not at all. And of course, best of luck with June's Menopause Cafe. Thank you. Um, I do hope that I'll be able to have a sample of some tea and cake with you. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to learn more about what we've talked about today, some helpful charities and organisations are Endometriosis UK, IAPMD for PMDD, and a podcast by Diane Danzebrink and Claire Louise Knox called Understanding Menopause. Of course, June's business venture menopause360.co.uk launches this month too. Something that June has said has really resonated with me. She said, I couldn't manage my PMS or endometriosis. It was something that managed me. And this is a true feeling for lots of people who have these conditions. But the one advantage I feel like we have over June is that we're no longer in the 80s. Times are changing, people are talking about these things more, and people are feeling hopeful that they're not alone, they can live a life of joy, and that maybe one day there'll be even more information and support, and who knows, maybe even a cure. Until then, we keep this conversation going, and on my next episode, Lou and I will be discussing the importance of talking, even when we don't want to. So I hope you're listening. Again, thank you for being here. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends, leave a review and subscribe to hear future episodes. If you'd like to get in touch, you can follow My Hormones and My Health on Instagram or email me at hormonesandhealth at outlook.com.